0: Hi everybody, welcome to Busy Living Soap Ba. Busy Living Soap Ba, Busy Living Soba. It's episode 250. Can you believe that? 250 episodes. And I'm so excited that Jolene Knight's here. Hi, Jolene. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you
1: for inviting me and including me and for that fabulous song. And <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: It's a crazy little silly song. It um it's funny because I have friends, I have people who listen to the podcast, their kids started singing it, which I think is hysterical. <laughs> it's very catchy. <laughs> Isn't it? It was really original. That was like busy living, that's all it is is three words. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's all that's all you need is three words.
0: Exactly. But now we can, but we can do these things that are crazy and be sober and be like, it's totally fine. It's okay. It is.
1: Things right? that we used to need to be, you know, drunk for, we just do it with raw vulnerability.
0: Exactly. That's the only way to do it, right? It's to show up. So yep. what, tell us what it was like and what happened and what it's like today. In my life, in my business, in my world. Let's um, talk about when you got sober and what yeah. that Like, cause it was a little bit ago, but I'm sure you still remember. (laughs) I remember it all too well. And, you know, I,
1: I got sober November 20th, 1987 and, you know, I got sober as a young person. There was not a lot of young people's meetings going on. In fact, there was, you know, only one at the time I had no intention of being an alcoholic and I was extremely uh, surprised and pissed when I discovered that I could no longer drink like normal people. And, you know, my mom had started going to Al-Anon when my drinking had started really getting out of control. And, you know, I, I often hear people say, I owe my life to, you know, AA. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is that I, had my mom not started going to Al-Anon, I don't know that I would have, you know, uh, arrived into my own recovery when I did. And so I, I kind of feel like Al-Anon saved my life and Alcoholics Anonymous and, and my sobriety has given me my life. Um, and, you know, I stumbled in really pretty disgruntled, um, about, you know, uh, the absence of control that I had. And I couldn't imagine what my life was going to look like, uh, without drinking anymore. And, I'm so fortunate. I'm so grateful that I got sober when I did without cell phones, without distractions, um, and with a bunch of salty people that told me to sit down, shut up and listen, because I don't know that any other way would have worked for me. And so, you know, by by just nature of, of, you know, the time in which I got sober, I was really given an opportunity to learn how to grow up and there had started to be some sprinklings of young people's meetings here in Los Angeles, which I'm so incredibly grateful for because it gave me something that I could relate to. I couldn't relate to the 70 year old guy that hadn't had a drink in 25 years. Um, but I could relate to, you know, the gal that was 18 or 19 that had a year. And that kept me coming back and kept me coming back. And it's been a tremendous amount of work, you know, both emotionally, spiritually, um, and physically really to keep myself firmly grounded. And in 1991, you know, with a couple of years sober, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And you know, somebody that I knew had said, you know, they have these overnight, you know, graveyard shifts uh, at the local adult psychiatric unit and it's 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And at that point, you know, it seemed like a, a better option than, you know, working at the local restaurant and the flower shop and three other jobs to try to make ends meet. And I went and I interviewed and I got this job, um, you know, on a like, locked psychiatric unit. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and it sounds crazy to say, but I got to tell you, I fell in love. I fell in love with helping people. I fell in love with, you know, seeing people start to transform. And, and I, I quickly found my way into the, you know, substance use disorder field. And, and I think the real balance for me was keeping my recovery and my work separate. Um, because it's really easy, I think for the two to get kind of jumbled up. And, and that took a lot of work. And there were moments that it wasn't as graceful. And, you know, I'd I'd come home after working with people that were suffering from, you know, substance use disorders. And the last thing I wanted to do was go to a meeting and hear about it all over again. Um, and so that really required, you know, a balance and, and a balance that was sometimes really off base. When I had almost 10 years sober, I was closer to a drink than I had ever been. And it was simply because I became so engulfed in work that I lost sight of my priorities, which is my sobriety is first, my family is second, and everything else comes after. And you know, my sobriety started to kind of gradually take a back seat. And it really brought me to my knees and and forced me to kind of get back to, um, that desperation that I came in with, which was being willing to go to any lengths. And I can safely say that since then I've maintained that balance. Um, I'm really clear that, you know, my work, which I love and I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I feel very fortunate that I have something that I have loved to do for the past 30 years, um, But I have to keep my, I have to be able to put my head down at night, and be right with you know what I do, and you know what it's what it's like now is you know I have a 21 year you know relationship with my husband. We've been married for 20. We have an 18 year old son and a 15 year old son that have grown up in a a sober household with you know some some sense of the principles of the program. you know, I have my my business, which is Grace Recovery, which has been, you know, a, a tremendous blessing of, you know, offering detox and residential treatment to people. And then, you know, my service work at Awakening Recovery, which is, you know, a recovery community for men that are suffering with substance use disorder and really kind of the last house on the block um, and a nonprofit where nobody is turned away due to lack of funds um. And that's my heart.
0: Yeah. It's um, w- what, I love that you mentioned that you, your work took you, it takes you to, it, you know, you were overwhelmed with recovery and then you're like, mm-hmm. I've heard so many people say that, like, and I don't have time to go to a meeting. I've been doing right. this all day. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Mm-hmm. So, how did you, what did you do find different meetings or hang out with different sponsors? You kept on talking to the same, I mean, how did that go? Yeah. I mean, you know, what
1: in hindsight, right. What had happened was I had a sponsor that had been my sponsor for many years and she died very tragically and very unexpectedly and, you know, doing what she loved, which was riding her motorcycle to a a convention in Arizona. Um, and when she died, I kind that was kind of the chip in the armor. And I didn't know it at the time. And what I what I kind of told myself was when I find somebody, then I'll ask them to be my sponsor. And what started to happen was I started to become less and less engaged in the community because A, you know, I had suffered this really big loss of somebody that really taught me how to grow up and be a woman. And B, I became a little disheartened and it did not happen overnight. You know, we always, we always talk about like relapse is a process, right? It's not just an event that happens one day. It, it, it can be slow, it can be quick. But for me, it was really a very slow chips in, the, in my armor and my armor being, you know, Commitments, meetings, sponsees, my sponsor, you know, all of those different pieces of it. And it started with not having a sponsor for a period of time and that lack of accountability. Um, I'm somebody that I have to be accountable. That's why sobriety works for me. Be at this meeting at this time, do this, do that. And when I stopped having that accountability and I stopped being current with somebody, you know because yeah. my sponsor was the one person I was current with mm-hmm. then suddenly everything else that was under that really kind of went away and you know I, I you asked what you know what did I do well you know as I said I was sitting in a liquor store at Playboy Liquor in Hollywood I was waiting for my paycheck to be direct deposited um, so that I could go in and buy some liquor and Fortunately, I had smart fingers that knew how to dial a payphone, and it had been drilled in my head. You know, we, we, we make phone calls before we pick up a drink. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was, that was really still there, regardless of how kind of distant I had been from the program. I knew to pick up the phone and make those calls. And I did, I, I called, I made a deal, right? The deals that we make, whether we're yeah. sober or whether we're drinking, my deal was, Okay, God, if you're even there and can hear me, I'm going to call two people. If nobody answers, clearly it's your will for me to drink, right? <laughs> and if somebody answers, then I won't drink today. And one answered. And the next thing I knew, you know, she and her boyfriend at the time had come and picked me up. And took me back to the house. And, you know, he said, I've got a gal that you may, you know, relate to as a sponsor. You got to get a sponsor. At that point, it had probably been six months that I hadn't had a sponsor. And I had a lot of shame, right? Because I had almost 10 years sober. And it's like that whole thing of like, the longer you're sober, you know, the better you're supposed to be. And here I was sitting in a, you know, liquor store parking lot, waiting for some money to come through you know, sobbing because I was so scared. I knew that I didn't want to drink because I knew that to drink was, was to die eventually. And I called this woman up and I said, I'm in dire straits, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to drink. And she asked me a question that I hadn't been asked in 10 years. And that was, are you willing to go to any lengths? And at that moment, the answer was yes. And what willing to go to any lengths meant was that, you know, that woman was my sponsor for, you know, 15 years until she moved out of state. Um, I didn't miss a beat. And I got another sponsor when she left. I've stayed, you know, connected to meetings and the people that I sponsor and my sponsor and commitments and, you know, practicing the principles in all of my affairs, not just when it's convenient for me. So that's what I did, you know, whether I have 32 minutes, 32 days or 32 years, I have to do the same things. It's not like you stay sober and then you don't have to do it anymore, you know, (laughs) quite the contrary, because life happens, right? I've had a lot of life happen in the last 32 years. And so that's, that's where it's like, you know, it's like, it's a fire drill. I do it whether things are good or whether there's a fire burning,
0: right? And with what you do at Grace and working with people for over 30 years, addicts, how often that fleeting moment that you just described, that moment that you're like, I am desperate. I remember being back mm-hmm. awake, being like, I've got the sponsor and she, I, I, I mean, it was the first time I ever listened to somebody, right, but right? How often do you find somebody willing like that? Well, you know,
1: it's interesting that, I mean, that's a great question because how often not very, not very, right. right. But what, what I've learned is that very few people wake up in the morning and decide today's a great day to go to treatment or to, to, you know, go into, you know, to go into a recovery community for a year, very few. Very, very few people wake up with that on their mind. And, you know, I, I've had to shift my perception of willingness and what willingness looks like because willingness doesn't look the same for everybody. And willingness oftentimes comes from some type of external motivating factor, whether it's legal, whether it's, you know, for some of our guys at Awakening, it's, you know, they're, they're, they don't have a home, their families cut them off they have legal issues and they really have no other option. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like they're, they're showing up going, God, I really want to do this today. They're showing up because all of those other factors in their lives are no longer functioning. And so this is really the last option that they have family, you know, family is a huge motivator. Jobs are a huge motivator medical issues are a huge motivator. So willingness, you know, to me has really evolved and changed through the years. I don't look for somebody to come to me and go, oh my God, I'm so willing to do this. Right. I look for the action. And sometimes the action is just showing up and putting your butt in a seat. Sometimes the action is walking through the door and saying, yes, it doesn't mean that that shift happens. The shift didn't happen for me that the day that I got sober, the shift didn't happen honestly until probably after I had a year where suddenly I realized that I wasn't doing it for anyone else, that I wasn't doing it for my mom, that I wasn't doing it for probation, that I wasn't doing it for the job, but that I was just doing it. And I was doing it because it was better than what I had been doing. So, you know, those, those, those moments, those fleeting moments, I think are different for everybody, you know, and, and how it looks is different.
0: Exactly. And right now with what's going on in the pandemic, Mm -hmm. how has it been affected at awakening and at grace and the fact that you can't, and you're in LA, so you can't, I mean, they just are starting to open up there. And how has it affected everybody? Yeah. I mean, it, I think, listen, it's, the mental health crisis,
1: the substance use disorder crisis is profound. Um, not just in LA, but, but you know, nationally. Um, isolation, the lack of connection, the lack of community, you know, um, person community. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about a Zoom community. I'm talking about really being able to sit and connect and look in somebody's eyes. I think that that's had a radical effect on people. And to be honest with you, I think we've yet to see the real damage um, that's been done. Fortunately, you know, for for us at Awakening, um, you know, we have a really strong, we are built on peer support. We are built, we are, you know, we're not a treatment center. We are really a place for, you know, men and hopefully down the line women who don't have the resources who have been through multiple treatment centers and multiple you know, possible incarcerations that are willing to make that level of commitment. And it, it's, it's so alumni and peer driven that we were really able to maintain a really solid and consistent community atmosphere because that atmosphere was not reliant on outside stuff. Right? And I think, you know, for us at Grace and at Awakening, you know, we had to really pivot on how to keep our clients safe, how to keep our residents safe, how to really be able to, um, you know, uh, not just keep them safe physically from COVID, but also to keep them emotionally Mm -hmm. safe from the stressors that were going on. I think that the biggest challenge was the absence of meetings. That was really difficult, um, because it was hard for people to connect to somebody and ask them to be their sponsor on a zoom. It was hard for people to have that kind of spiritual experience of doing step two and step three with somebody. Um, you know, when you're looking in their eyes and you, mm. you see the light go on. Um, I think that, in many ways, it also was, uh, it, it was uh, people rallied, you know, I mean, being able to be on a meeting with, you know, somebody from Australia and somebody from New York and somebody from Chicago and Los Angeles, all at the same time with that one common thread was really powerful and really magical. And it met the need in the moment. But now we're kind of at that point where it's like, everybody's been, you know, in it, it not had to deal with people, and now all of a sudden everybody's going to have to start to deal with people, and so I think that that is really um, going to open up a different, you know, dialogue and a different community um, connection. You know, yeah. so I, I, I mean, I think that in a lot of different ways, it's it's been both a blessing and the most difficult time that we've seen, you know, uh, as a world, um, for a very, very long time. And, you know, our guys really rallied, they did, and they, they, you know, remained committed to what they were doing and the need became more and more apparent to all of us as people were losing their jobs, as people mm-hmm. were, you know, losing that financial stability and security and what that was gonna be able to look like. And the goal was across the board to keep the doors open and make sure that somebody in need would have a place to go.
0: I love that. What's the population like at Awakening? So our population is really
1: mixed. So right now we have an all men's um, recovery community and our goal is hopefully you know within the next year to open a women's house. Because the need is, um, it's huge. It's huge. And, you know, it started out as a men's house and it became really clear um, very early on that we needed to expand our demographic. Our demographic is really mixed. The guys are required to make a year commitment. And the goal in that year is for them to have a spiritual experience For them to not leave until they are ready and able to be financially self-supporting through their own contributions, to be independent. It's very deliberate. And it requires, you know, it requires, you you had talked about, you know, that fleeting willingness, right? Mm -hmm. So it requires a level of willingness of being able to hear a peer say, you know, your actions and your behavior are super selfish, And super self centered, and this is how it's affecting me. And I had talked about, you know, kind of how I got sober and, you know, without the cell phones and really being told, sit down, shut up, and listen. And there was something that was a lot of value to that. And awakening brings that element of simplicity to the table by really focusing on your lives are out of control and it's unmanageable. And there is a solution and the solution is not, you know, outside of yourself, it's within yourself. And by having the alumni and the, the you know, peer mentorship, it's a lot easier for people to hear it from mm-hmm. their peer than it is to hear it from me or to hear it from, you know, some power that be and to take the action, you know, it, it's looking at what the problem is and then what the solution is the age demographic is mixed you know i couldn't tell you what you know what it is because it's always changing and it always looks different from somebody that you know really doesn't have any financial resources to somebody whose family is really just exhausted emotionally and financially from the impact and the effects that you know, addiction and substance use has had on them, Mm -hmm. um, to somebody that may have a job and they've tried everything and it's just, it's not working anymore. So, you know,
0: it's a really mixed, mixed, it's a mixed bag. I love that though. I love that. Are now, so they're open to take, I mean, you have beds open at this point or no, I, you know what? our beds are because
1: we have guys that are staying with us for a year. Yeah. Those beds are not open very often. I think we have one or two beds available right now. Um, and it requires willingness. It requires willingness to walk through the door, um, willingness to, you know, follow the guidelines of the program, willingness to suit up and show up even when you don't want to. So willingness, when I say, you know, it shifts and it changes, it's, it's, you know you get a little bit of willingness and then you push it a little bit more and you say all right are you really willing <laughs> you know let's really see if you're willing so
0: yeah i mean that's 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 us yeah, I think that that tough love, because when you were saying that, I was thinking about when you were talking in the beginning, because it mm-hmm. was, you know, when people back in the day, I remember somebody coming up to me, this big, burly guy, and yeah. I said, I had shared that I'd like, I only have six months. And he was like, I need to talk to you. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> right. Like, right. <laughs> only, you don't only, that's a lot of time. And I, that's always, right. You know, we forget that when we get yeah. a little bit long term. It's like, one day is huge. Yeah. Somebody's out there listening to us today. What? Yeah. And they're feeling so lost and they just can't, it's so hard. They can't do it. They wish they, they wish that they had something to do with their hands and they feel Mm -hmm. lazy. And why, what could I be, what can I do? What can I do? I can't, I, I, this is just, they feel helpless. Right. What is your advice?
1: I mean, listen, I think that it, it, And it's not even so much advice as it is experience. I've seen people get sober the first time. I've seen people get sober the 27th time. I don't think that there is a rhyme or a reason. At the end of the day, one thing I'm really clear about is it is a spiritual solution. And, you know, some people get sober sleeping on a couch and going to three meetings a day. Some people get sober, you know, going to detox and residential. Some people get sober in a recovery community for a year. I I there is no one size fits all. We are not one size fits all. Our experiences, our life experiences, they are they're they're uniquely ours, but the commonality is is that there is a solution and what that solution looks like is going to vary from person to person. I just know and believe in all of my heart because I wouldn't do this crazy thing for the past 30 years if I didn't believe it that there is nothing more beautiful than watching the transformation of somebody from day one and to day five, to day seven, to day 30, to day 365. There's nothing in the world, there's not enough plastic surgery out there that can cause the same level of transformation that somebody has in their life when they make the commitment to stop drinking and using and have a different experience. So, you know my experience tells me that there is nothing that you can't get through on a daily basis there isn't it may seem impossible but it always changes with drinking and using the outcome is always the same with the commitment and the willingness to stop the the, the opportunities are endless it could it could not change for five minutes. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, something happens, the shift changes. And I guess the advice would be the only thing that you have to do perfectly is not pick up no matter what. Everything else, everything else you can deal with. The only thing that is the game changer is if you pick up and you use. Yeah. So that's the only thing that you have to do perfectly. Everything else can be done imperfectly.
0: And it's like this, it's this kinship you find with another person. It's just Mm -hmm. getting out there and meeting someone. It's like, I don't even know you, but I can feel like we're. Yeah. (laughs) A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's like, I feel it's spiritual. Even if, you know, it's just, and you need to get out there and find that person. Cause I, there are so many people that are willing to help all of. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So yeah. That's, that's my, that's my takeaway message. And then tell me one last, I want to ask. So being a mom yeah. and having both your kids, cause I'm a mom too. Yeah. And my ex, their dad is, you know, he's also sober. Thank God. But how has it been being a mom with teenagers? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say that it's brought
1: me to my knees in more <laughs> ways than one. Um, I mean, listen, it's. It has, I mean, I have teenage boys, they're two and a half years apart. There have been moments where I have thought, what the hell did I do? And then there have been moments where I go, this is, this is, this is what it was all for, right? Being able to show up for them. Um, it's really challenging. And it's challenging only because I have to remember that they have their own God, they have their own plan. And their God has a will for them. And it's not my will. Right. And making sure that, you know, I, my four corners of the world are in order and creating a safe space for them to grow up and, and become men. You know, my oldest son is getting ready to leave for the Navy in a couple of months. And I've got to tell you, that was not, that was not in my plan. Right. But um letting go and being human and trusting that, you know, he's got a path and my youngest son has a path and we all have our own path and maintaining, excuse me, the consistency of, you know, bringing spirituality into every aspect of our lives. So, and also remembering that I can always start over right? Because there have been a lot of days that, you know, I think I'm, my feet are firmly grounded and I'm, I'm in really good shape. And by the time I get to the kitchen, I'm ready to throw my coffee cup across the house and being able to stop for a minute and go back and get my do-over in.
0: Because it's difficult being, a. they know our triggers, don't they?
1: Oh, you bet. You bet they do. You bet they do. We showed them where they were exactly and gave them directions on how to get there
0: oh my gosh jolene it's been so great getting to it's meet. been so oh, nice thank you so much for coming on and co- it's a pleasure touch. please keep in touch and i will on. thank you for his service to our country thank
1: you that thank is you, amazing. Thank you.
0: he'll be in our prayers and everybody until next time keep getting busy living soba. bye-bye